0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work.
1: shopify.com work. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation.
3: on Talk Radio.
1: Now, I'm delighted to say, it's time to say a very good morning to
2: Mr Richard Tice. Richard, how are you? I'm not too bad, not too bad. It's a bit of a grey old, uh, murky old day out it there. It is a bit murky. Merkel's yeah.
1: arriving shortly. I don't know why she's coming here. I wish she wouldn't come here. And
2: what the hell has it got to do with her, where we go? It's quite extraordinary, isn't, isn't it? it? I mean, it really is. I think it's just part of a a continuing, relentless trend of, of sort of just gentle punishment. It's like we're sort of getting a, a weekly punishment yeah. beating from one part of the EU or another or one leader mm. or another. It's just utterly, utterly relentless. Well, I guess it, it makes a change
1: from getting it from our own prime minister and his government. <laughs> I mean, luckily, a whole week has passed and nobody's been caught out doing something they shouldn't have been doing. Yeah,
2: but the week's not yet out. <laughs> by... <laughs> well, listen, but anything could happen in the next 24 but, hours. But, but what, what, is, what is clear is that uh, not only is it a a grey day out there, but actually, the result in in Batley and Spence was mm. this. It, I mean, it, it was a pretty murky, uh, distasteful, dirty yes, by election by all Yes, it was accounts. horrible, wasn't it? And, really and you know, I'm delighted that we made the call. We knew it was going to be a cesspit. Yeah. And so that's why we decided not to get right involved. Thing. We did the right thing. Yeah. And <clears throat> yes, you know, Labour have just, uh, they've clung on. By the skin of their teeth. I mean, it's a you know, it's not it's a really weird, a win, is it? I mean, it's, it's, no, sort it's of a hold. It's, it's a great for them. It's a grey result, yeah. exactly. It's a it's a press the pause button. Mm. Who knows what's going on? What is absolutely clear is that the Hancock effect mm. uh, has has impacted and probably cost the Tories uh, that seat. Yes. And I think they're guilty of of arrogant complacency. Yeah. They were guilty of that in the Chesham by yes. election that they lost, uh, where they were hardly seen out campaigning or door knocking and canvassing mm. at all and i'm told up in batley and spen that essentially the conservative candidate he was protected he was hardly ever seen and uh, he wouldn't be out there door knocking and most importantly of all he didn't have the courage uh, to stand up uh, and support and, and defend the teacher right. of the batley grammar school and nobody and, really did which and, and nobody which it? is which is a uh, you know it's a sign of of weakness it's a sign of the fear it's a sign of the intimidation mm. And it's a sign that freedom of speech really is under huge, mm.
1: huge threat. And is it really the case that politicians in this country are so frightened of the Muslim community or certain aspects of the Muslim community that they literally don't want to go anywhere near issues that they don't
2: like? I, I th- I'm afraid it I'd it to say I think it is that bad. Yeah. And what you saw in Battling Spen, where obviously there's a significant uh, Muslim community, was. And, and you know, Kim Ledbetter herself, she was caught trying to ride all different mm. sorts of horses. Um, I actually think that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, she she's a she's a local in Batley and Spen. She knows the constituency. uh, And I think amongst all of the candidates, you know, she probably perhaps, you know, she's won because she's run the best campaign. Mm. But in reality, uh, it's a you know, when you get that sort of mix, you get George Galloway coming in. It but was... she's only won
1: by 323 votes, which is tiny compared to the to yeah, the, it's... The, the the majority they had before. And so she's sort of crept in some, somehow, you know, maybe because George Galloway didn't have an extra couple of days to get extra votes or because the Tories were knocked back because she's, of Hancock. She's
2: crept in because of Hancock, because the Tory candidate didn't have the courage to get out there. Uh, to be seen more on the doorstep and to stand up mm. for the uh, for the teacher. That's 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 my yeah, take. Yes, on it. I think
1: that's absolutely right. And and the, the disgraceful thing about it, really, as well, uh, is that T- Keir Starmer talks about. And I was listening to Julie this morning. Talks about them running a sort of an honest campaign uh, for peace in the area and to you know pour oil on troubled waters and all this absolute rubbish. It's absolutely she rubbish. She was putting Wait. out. She was putting out flyers. Uh, with pictures of, of Boris Johnson meeting the Indian yeah. Prime Minister Modi.
2: No, there's no question that Labour were as guilty of putting out distasteful leaflets uh, as anybody, frankly. Mm, yeah, uh, And, and there's surely so, no
1: place in modern British politics for that kind of ethnic division. No, of what, course, what's you that know, all about? I mean, why are we fighting, you know, the Jammu and Kashmir independence
2: yeah. war? I mean, the idea that a local election in Batley and Spence uh, should be fought on, you know, Palestine issues in the Middle East... Right. Kashmir issues mm. uh, adjacent to India is 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 a complete nonsense, but it does show. I think it, sh- it shows the level of fear mm. uh, and trying to sort of cow tow to a particular uh, group. And actually, and you've just got to stand up. You've just, well. got to, you've just got to stand up for local issues, and that, of course, is what the Libs, Lib Dems did in Chesham. Yes, and uh, they won on local issues. Mm. People had been ignored. Uh, What we haven't really heard much about was the extent of tactical voting Mm. in Batley that may or may not emerge. But um, yeah, look, the Tories, the Tories should be two MPs. Uh, They should have two more MPs Mm. this morning than they do. But their arrogance, their complacency, yeah. has definitely cost them.
1: Well, I suppose the good news for them is that this result will remain, uh, hopefully, uh, one that keeps Keir Starmer in the position of leader of the opposition. Because the great they, what they what they don't want, I presume, the Tories, is somebody even if it was Angela Rayner who might be a bit better or a bit more feisty than Starmer, who's just hopeless.
2: I never actually bought into the idea that uh, he would have been ousted mm. had Labour lost this by election. Uh, I think he would have, uh, he, you know, he would have continued. Um, I think it's the reality is it's much bigger than just a few votes in one by-election. Mm. No one knows what Labour stand for. Uh, they're completely split down the middle. And I, I continue to believe that uh, we will not see another Labour-majority government... Mm in this country in our lifetimes. No, I don't think we will. Because you know, the, the
1: only vociferous kind of group of people inside the party are the Corbynites, the people like Owen Jones, and the people who want to see another lurch to the left. And look how badly that went for them.
2: Yeah, but it's quite clear the country doesn't want that. And so it, it's, it's, it's clear to me uh, Labour cannot win a majority because they've lost Scotland. Uh, they're deeply damaged in the north of England. This whole mm. identity politics that they keep talking about frankly whether you're in a pub a fish and chip shop a curry house or you know watching your kids on the touchline on a mm. sunday morning nobody Talk talks fence about this a bit stuff half a mile away yeah nobody talks about this stuff no one's interested in no. this stuff outside the wokery mm. of the westminster village and uh, that that's the reality of yeah. what's going on people want to know actually am uh, am i, I going to have a job uh, next month next year can i afford the, the bills Uh, What are the tax rises Mm. that that the Tories are going to bring down the pipe? And what's the big, you know, what are the big tax increases because of the Tories' green agenda? Those are the big issues that are going to face everybody going forwards, And that's what, you know, we're going to be talking about. Mm. Uh, you know, and one of the it.
1: questions that we've got this morning, uh, knowing what we now know about this ridiculous vaccine story, is that some people are going to be asking, can I go uh, with my kids on holiday to Europe? Um, well, the answer is, if you had a particular AstraZeneca vaccine that happens to have been manufactured in India,
2: uh, the answer is, is no, you won't. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, this is uh, th- this is uh, as, a, as, a, as a story, uh, as an issue. I just is this just the EU once again finding another excuse Uh, just to sort of beat us around Mm. the head with, that you've got millions of vaccines that were made in India Mm. under a certain series of batch numbers uh, that have been put into the arms of of UK citizens. And And about 5 million of them. Up to 5 million. And it seems that the EU are essentially not approving that batch. And so you've got people busily uh, looking at their cards saying, what's their batch number? You know, I really do think, at best, this is incompetence, at, at, at worst, I think it's probably something more sinister. It's an excuse. You know, just the EU are constantly chipping yes. away uh, and looking to punish the UK. And, and it's I a think European it, Medicines Agency problem, isn't it? Because what they're saying is, is that
1: the, 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 the company in India that manufactured it didn't apply for a licence in the EU. Well, listen, that's but, not the most ridiculous but thing but the to irony, overcome, is this it? Is,
2: this is the same. Look, It's a political issue. The EMA will do what they're told. Mm. Uh, the irony that you had the EU suing AstraZeneca because it couldn't get enough of their vaccines, uh, and yet now mm. they're actually saying: so on one hand we're suing you, but on the other hand we're not accepting some of your, ba- right. your vaccines, your batch, because they were made in the wrong place. Yeah, I mean, these are the same it, people that
1: stormed into the actual factory, didn't they, demanding to see the boss or something? Yeah, I mean, it, it's,
2: it's utterly outrageous. You know, it's almost, it's almost a force of, a form of sort of vaccine racism, mm. that because it was made in India, it's not good enough for us yeah. in the EU. Right. I mean, it's, I just think it's utterly deplorable. It really is. But, but it's no surprise.
1: But everything they're doing now seems to be utterly deplorable. I mean, from Merkel coming here to talk about supposedly... Presumably, things other than banning Britons from Europe. But I mean, it's not the greatest way to start a negotiation on something else, is it? By the way, none of your lot can come to our uh, great continent because they're all unclean. I mean, I, really? I guess what we
2: haven't discussed is whether or not this is actually a reaction to uh, England beating Germany well, a few days ago. And I think
1: <laughs> I think it shouldn't be overlooked as well that Andy Murray put out one of theirs as well. Um, on Centre Court the other night, it was some German bloke who'd never played at Wimbledon before, <laughs> he's
2: probably never going to play there again. Probably know? never again. I mean, it is, uh, no, it, it's completely unacceptable, but this is going to go on and on. We're seeing it, you know, most seriously, we're seeing it with the Northern Ireland Protocol, Yeah, and a uh, big decision there, just a couple of days ago, where actually the uh, the judge, uh, Ben Habib, was taking the government to court, and the judge actually concluded that, yes, the Northern Ireland Protocol does repeal mm. part of the Act of Union. Yes. Pretty extraordinary that the Conservative... Amazing, actually. The Conservative really and Unionist Party yeah. have actually themselves broken the Union. Yes. Congratulations. Uh, and yeah, and, and that's a really significant issue that is going to cause, uh, you know, great upset. And the government has to have the courage mm. to tell the EU, look, it is not acceptable, the protocol is not yeah. working... Uh, And, you know, these are all these different issues. And whether it's sausage wars or what's coming down the pipe is lawnmower wars. Yeah. uh, You know, the government has just got to, you know, they've got to find a backbone against the EU in all these different areas. Yeah, absolutely right. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Richard Tice is with me. Richard, an extraordinary story in The Telegraph today about the amount of sick days that are being taken in the NHS and also the fact that people who work in the NHS who have been double-jabbed are continually getting pinged by the app uh, and being sent home.
2: I mean, it is complete madness. You know, as a nation, we've all... Huge numbers, way higher than anybody ever predicted. You know, we've we've been double-jabbed. We've done what we were asked to do. And um, in particular with the NHS, even if you've been double jabbed, if you get pinged, you've got to self-isolate. Right. And you start to say, well, why have we done this? Where's the benefit yeah. of the success of the vaccine mm. rollout if actually you're not you're not getting. I mean, the idea that NHS staff uh, having to stay at home uh, for, for a week or 10 days, even though they've been double jabbed, is literally the def- definition. Of madness, It is. And, and so, now
1: people in the hospitals are starting to say, just switch it off yeah. or, or, or get rid so, of it, delete so, it.
2: So we've got, we've got um, literally po- possibly 10 million people uh, on a waiting list for some form of treatment, mm. diagnosis or surgery. Uh, and yet, yet you've got medics who are sitting at home, uh, even though they've been double jabbed. Mm. It's as mad as the hundreds of thousands of school children uh, who are sitting at yep. home because uh, someone's had a positive result from a lateral flow test that the us has banned as being utterly useless uh and and yet children don't suffer with this disease at worst they might get a sniffle or a day's flu Uh, you know and there's a really really strong case for saying actually it would be much better for children to get natural antibodies from catching the virus because they don't suffer from it than actually um taking the risk of an emergency vaccine where the risk-reward ratio for young people mm. really isn't there. And well, I there's think,
1: something like 275,000
2: kids at home because they've been sent home. There's nothing wrong with them, you know? Exactly. So, so, exactly. There's either nothing wrong with them or they've got a sniffle and you're thinking this is just utter lunacy. We've been seeing this coming down the pipe weeks ago. Mm. It was obvious what was happening. And yet you've got a government, you've got a Secretary of State for Education who seems utterly incapable of identifying a problem and making a prompt, rapid mm. decision to sort it out. No. It's obvious well, the new to, narrative- to all of us what needs to be done. Yeah. You need to scrap testing yeah. healthy young children in schools. It's unnecessary. They're using a dodgy test. Just, just stop mm. it. No one else in the world is doing no, this.
1: There's no reason to do it. And the point is, is that you know they can't seem to make a decision about anything. When I said earlier in the week... Why doesn't Boris Johnson do a deal with Italy, uh, talk to the EU, do something, and get England fans out to Rome for the game? You know, there's no reason why they couldn't have done that. There's plenty of UEFA officials coming here, but apparently we can't send any fans on a plane, keep them all in a hotel, and then send them to the game, bring them all back, you know, overnight or something. What's the problem? But they don't seem to have any ability to be nimble enough. To make a decision, all we hear now is all. Oh, let's wait another couple of weeks. For what we're going to be told next week by Boris, oh, uh, we might have to put some more restrictions on
2: after July the nineteenth. Well, why? It's 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 utterly extraordinary. Not only they're not nimble, they can't make decisions. They clearly can't negotiate. Uh, the only thing they can negotiate uh, is amongst themselves that it's one rule for them and mm. another rule for us ordinary folk on the street. Yeah, and you know I think that actually that that may well have also played a role in the battle Oh, i'm sure it must result. have done i'm you sure know, it, it must have you, done you never quite know but it, it the constant weird decision making uh, from this government just leaves everybody of whatever political persuasion or none just aghast at, you know the total lack of common sense the lack of pragmatism the lack of of speed at getting stuff done and and, and moving forwards you know it's obvious the data is good it's obvious the link has been broken between cases amongst young people who don't suffer and hospitalizations or worse. Mm. And so you've got to take advantage of it. And I think it's I know people are very excited about Sajid Javid coming in. Uh, let's wait and see. But, uh, you know, what he, he could have done, he could easily have said, well, let's just wait a couple of days, but we might be able to ease mm. everything on Ju- July the yeah. 5th. That would have been a really strong statement yeah. of conviction of new leadership. And we haven't had that. There are
1: schools around the country that have completely closed, right? So that nobody can
2: go there. They're going to
1: reopen, say, at the end of next week, in which case they might as well not bother because they've only got three days before
2: summer term. It's utterly ludicrous. And once again, the people who are suffering the most are young children who've had had the most awful time despite being the least at risk from this virus. And there's just been a complete Mm. lack of consideration and care for them and their parents who are trying to hold down a job, who yeah. are just being driven utterly mad by this. And of course, very often parents are, are losing money because suddenly they've got to go home again to look after the children that they thought would be in school, but now they're having to self-isolate mm. even though they're perfectly healthy. And you just think, where? And and you come back to this story uh, about the medics and, it, and not being able to work. They want to work in the hospitals. They're healthy. Mm. They've been jabbed. And you just think madness literally madness give us the figure there that's
1: the number of sick days um which they've put out there for february so it's an incredible number
2: apparently in february alone 1.6 million sick days amongst nhs staff in england alone yeah um, that's that's about uh 2 days off yeah uh, amongst all the nhs staff in it's england a col- in, in a short month it is utterly extraordinary uh, In a <clears throat> We 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 know that there's a shortage of NHS staff at the best of mm. times, and you know this is all this is going to do. It's going to increase the pressure on the NHS far more mm. than frankly than COVID will, uh, given where we're at. Um, it's going to it's going to lengthen uh, the waiting lists. It's bluntly, it's sadly, tragically going to lead, probably lead to more people suffering more, and heaven forbid, dying sooner because mm. you can't get these operations done and you know it's 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 just you know something really has got to happen yeah. something's got to change someone's got to show some proper decisive decision making mm. it really needs to be done final final question
1: how about prediction for the england game
2: oh well of course this is uh, <laughs> this is the big one it's very exciting Look, i'd love to see england really firing up pushing putting the foot for, on the accelerator yeah. pushing and getting three nil and really worrying everybody okay. else. This is the moment to push it and go for it. But what we mustn't do is assume that victory is certain. You know, don't underestimate Ukraine or any other team that's got, uh, you know, to the quarterfinals. Mm. It's it's a big thing, and um, you know, on the counterattack, you know, Ukraine could be dangerous. So we've got to be. But the good news is, um, you know, we haven't let a goal in yet. Yeah. And and that I think is is testament to our defence and our incredible goalkeeper who definitely saved us uh, against Germany issues tonight. Well,
1: we've got Sam Allardyce coming up next, so we'll ask him what he makes of it all. Richard, thank you very much indeed. As ever, Richard Tice, uh, Reform UK, of course, very wisely not taking part in that ghastly circus, which was the Bentley and Spend by-election. We'll talk some more about that coming up as well.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
1: The last time we spoke to Sam Allardyce, his predictions of how the Germany game would go were so good uh, that we thought we'd better get him back on to talk ahead of the big Ukraine game tomorrow in Rome. Of course, it's quarter final of Euros 2020. Sam, very good morning to you. Welcome back. Good morning. I mean, I'd have to say you were so spot on. I said to the guys here, I said, we must get Sam back because you said get Grealish on. You said Kane would score. Um, it was a glorious result against Germany. Um, what are you making of it all coming up for tomorrow?
4: Uh, very, very, very good. I think that um, the, the, the players obviously have to focus on on recovery. Uh, Gareth on tactics and team selection, which um, it's going to be very interesting on whether he sticks to the same system, I think, uh, with a back three or whether he, he goes back to a back four. That interests me, obviously, as a, as a, as a manager, mm-hmm. just to see how he changes the tactics. Will he make one or two changes with such a brilliant squad in strength and depth? Will he... Will he put Jack Grealish in from the start with the effect he's had um, in the games when he's come on as a substitute? Does he deserve a start? I think all those things will be uh, discussed with him and his staff and hopefully he comes to the right solution, the right system and uh, England push on to uh, to the semi-final and uh, not as easy as perhaps other people may expect yeah, in Rome, none of our, none of our fans and... Um, Hopefully, no complacency by the players.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're hopeful that there might be some uh, some England fans that live over in Europe somewhere. Like maybe they've gone, a load of guys have gone from Marbella, or some people have got uh, might, might live in Italy. But that is a factor, isn't it? Because Wembley was really rocking on uh, Tuesday night.
4: Oh, I think Wembley was a factor, and I think when we we all felt the pinch last season, we know fans on in the stadium, and when we got to get the last game in the Premier League with fans. In the stadium, we realised just how much we'd missed them and what an atmosphere mm. they created. And of course, that atmosphere at Wembley, even though only 40,000 was, was absolutely electric. Yeah. So, uh, um, if there's um, none of the England fans, they have to mentally be strong enough and tough enough to know what's at stake and motivate themselves to to pull it, pull in a top performance and hopefully uh, another another victory and of course another clean sheets because they are the best team defensively in this competition, having not conceded a goal yet.
1: Absolutely right. And is there a, an argument to say, leave Grealish to come on later on? Because by the time he's come on in, in other games, um, you know, it's it's changed everything, hasn't it? Rather than starting with him and, and having the opposition kind of try and snuff him out early on.
4: Well, yes, there's a great temptation as to leave it where it is, of course, but to what effect might he have from the very, very start? And, playing a longer period in the game and what effect can he have on the, the Ukraine's defence in terms of his ability. I mean, he is with with much talent that we do have and, um, you know, I'd be interested if Mason Mount comes into the factor now after his isolation period because right. he does, he does look, look to play him a lot. But certainly Jack running at players, committing, committing players into tackles, getting into the final third and producing the quality that breaks defences down is particularly interesting for me on whether he does start him or whether he does, again, come off the bench. If it is off the bench, probably, maybe, even on a bit sooner, you know. Yes. Also, I'd quite like to
1: see him and Saka on at the same time, rather than replacing one with the other.
4: Well, we're blessed in that position, aren't we, Mason Mount as well? Uh, Foden, uh, Sancho, Uh, I mean, there's there's so many choices for him in the wide positions. Mm. Harry Kane, obviously... Uh, hopefully has uh, uh, lifted the pressure off himself for that goal. Mm. We need to see him in, in, in and around the box again, trying to score more goals. And I think that will that will be a great um, advantage for for England. And of course, if Brian Sterling could keep scoring, then that would be absolutely fantastic.
1: Yes, absolutely right. And what about Ukraine? Because they had a very tough game last time they were out and, uh, you know, they did brilliantly to win it. I mean, they're obviously a fighting kind of team, aren't they? They're quite hard physically. Um, they're never going to give up. Well, um, nothing to lose for
4: them. Nobody's going out expecting them to, to affect England too much based on the and their previous record, of course, but they are in the quarterfinals and they will play well above themselves playing in this quarterfinal in the Euros against England in Rome. I think every player will, will lift their game. So I think that we do need to be aware of, of what the Ukraine are doing, but also we need to be more focused on playing our best game. And if we can do that, certainly that should be enough to win.
1: The son have pointed out that the, uh, the referees are German, uh, but the good news is he's already had a bust up apparently with uh, Andrew Shevchenko in one of their group games. So um, that might not be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are, going to be, it is, they are going to be
4: very important because obviously uh, we have a few England players that, that if we do progress are uh, living on a yellow, a yellow card right. and be suspended. So... Right. They have to be focused, or they they do have to be aware of that, of course. Uh, but hopefully the referee is, is does a great job, and it by being yeah. unseen and and not too dramatic in this game by making some decisions that may be questionable.
1: No, I mean the refereeing in the tournament has been pretty good so far. What as as a manager, I mean, how important is a relationship with that referee when you're playing a big game like this? Do you do you do anything to try and sort of in some ways make sure that? he doesn't think of you in one way or another? Or how, how, do you, how does it all work? Well, oh, I think that comes from the captain. And the captain
4: will have a brief chat with the, the referee before the game. And again, when they do the, the, the toss-up and find out he, the sort of person that he really is, is he approachable? Or is he one of those referees that just wants to be left alone and get on with his job? I think that's very important for the for the lads not to aggravate him one way or the other particularly and let him, let him get on with the game. I think, and also... VAR seems to be uh, handled extremely well compared to how we've handled it in the in the Premier League, and that is a, another factor where we have seen these decisions are made pretty quickly, mm. and the teams move on one way or the other. And I think that is a that is a good factor rather than hanging around waiting for three or four minutes for a decision on whether it is offside or whether it is goal or isn't a goal.
1: Absolutely, a couple of big games tonight. So Switzerland, Spain at five, and Belgium, Italy at eight. But both very tasty, I think.
4: Yes, absolutely. I'm looking forward to uh, sitting with a cold beer as usual, watching both <laughs> these games, of course, and uh, and as a neutral in both games, can relax that little will be more watching it rather than the tension yeah. that comes on when you're watching England.
1: A lot of people think Italy, if England were to make it to the final, could be the uh, the other finalist. What do you reckon?
3: They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
4: Uh, I don't disagree with that. I've been very impressed uh, with the, the, the quality of Italy's play. And, uh, of course, uh, unlike the normal uh, uh, systems and the way they play defensively, they've decided to reverse that with Mancini and uh, go pressing from the from the very front mm. and that along with the talent they've shown um, it's going to be very interesting to see to see how they fare going going or going as far as they possibly can but yeah they are, I do fancy them I didn't before the start of the, the euros but certainly watching them over the euros they've uh, impressed me a great deal yes
1: absolutely right finally Sam um, what about a prediction for uh, for the game on Saturday
4: I'm going uh, really over the top here Probably won't happen, but why not? Three
1: 0 Okay. Well, never. You never know. It could happen. I mean, he uh, was so right the last time. We'll see if he can do it again. And hopefully, we'll be talking to you next week about the semis.
4: <laughs> yeah, I look forward to speaking to you.
1: Thanks, thanks very much, Sam. Great to talk to you, Sam Allardyce, former England manager. There, uh, of course, uh, former manager of many, many clubs uh, in the Premier League, of course, as
2: well. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
1: How about this from Natalie? Uh, Morning, Mike. She says, my mum's house in Bournemouth is opposite a bus stop. And because of this, at the height of the pandemic, she kept getting pinged several times a day by track and trace. It drove my mum mad and the rubbish app was swiftly deleted. (laughs) Well, this is the thing. I mean, a story in the Telegraph today saying that people working in the NHS are getting pinged constantly. Well, guess why? Because they work in the NHS and they're getting pinged because they might have come into contact with someone who tested positive for COVID. Why? Because they're testing them in the place they work. Huh? I mean, that's not rocket science, really, is it? Let's talk to a man uh, who uh, we used to talk to a lot later in the evenings than we do now. He's the talk radio weekend breakfast presenter from 7 to 10. He is the one and only Christo Fufas. Christo, very good morning to you.
3: Good morning. How are you, man? I'm very well indeed. Now, I can hear...
1: I, can hear... this I am indeed, yes. Well, listen, uh, there's lots to be excited about. Um, uh, Angela Merkel's coming. I'd like to send her straight back, but uh, if not, just stick her in quarantine for a couple of weeks. Um, I, t- I hear the sound of birdsong.
3: Yes, I'm in my garden. Very uh, nice. I thought I'd uh, uh, treat you to... Uh a little bit of a, a an outdoor treat for you yes no this it's lovely it's nice to hear.
1: nice to hear bird song now let's talk about the Diana statue because we haven't done it enough this morning so far I put out hmm. a tweet last night saying that uh, the face bears a remarkable resemblance to Martin Peters from the 1966 World Cup winning <laughs> squad I don't know whether that I don't little... know who that is I don't well of I... course you're too young but you know um, if you look at my tweet you'll see a remarkable likeness and I wondered if it was the uh, sculptors um, sort of idea of um, in galvanizing the England football team for um, uh, for tomorrow in Rome.
3: I can see the resemblance when it comes to hairstyles, but yes. I put out a tweet last night which was not dissimilar, actually, because I don't think these characters look completely dissimilar. I think she looks like the first Ken from Barbie and Ken. <laughs> Do you remember when they yes. had the very first, the blonde Ken? Yes. Very much like him. But then I saw Kevin O'Sullivan last night compared her to another Ken Ken Barner. Yes. So I just can see a young a
1: Ken A Young also, I've, Ken.
3: I've also who, seen Simon Le Bon being suggested as well. <laughs> who are the children? Do we know who the children are at this point? Yes, they're because... a re-
1: they're a representation, Christo, of her uh, compassion, apparently.
3: Uh, right. Do you think her own children might have been a better representation well, I would have of fashion? So. I would have thought <laughs> I mean, so. And who's the one behind as well? You'd be really annoyed if you were the child that was stuck behind that I never saw. I know. Like, I know. I don't... I, I, don't like, I get the theme behind the statue, and I was expecting to be absolutely blown away mm. by it. But I think I prefer the outfit she's wearing than the children and the... Yes. the she's got a lovely big jaunty belt on, which oh. is very, very stylish. Yes. But I prefer that to the random children she seems to have have kidnapped because no one knows who they are. No one knows where the parents are. No no one knows anything about them. And I don't really like the face. I do think she looks like... Or perhaps... You remember Playmobil characters? Yes. You know, with the big plastic hairdo. Mm. Sort of that kind of thing. I don't think... Does anyone look good in a statue?
1: Well, I think it's quite difficult, isn't it? I mean, because I mean, funnily enough, I've just been uh, sent a, a tweet that in, in uh, over in Canada, I don't know whether you've seen this. It might be something you'll, you'll take a look at over the weekend. They've just pulled down a statue um, in a demonstration, right, of uh, Queen Elizabeth II, which is and absolutely... didn't they do one of they did one of Victoria yeah. earlier as well, didn't they? But it's absolutely horrendous. Just horrendous. And so, you know, the idea that the Spencer family doesn't have some kind of ties to slavery it strikes me as slightly ironic because... Presumably- but also, we're,
3: we're, we're putting up a statue here and we're taking them down. What are the rules around statues now? Because I'm so confused. Yes. Because we're putting them up, we're taking them down. I mean, Diana was amazing. You won't get an argument from me that Diana was fabulous. Yes. However, She was controversial. She didn't always do the right thing. No. She was not faithful during her marriage. In 20 years' time, in 30 years' time, when we're all so, so clean and sanitised in our lives and no one ever does anything wrong, will we be pulling down her statue? Mm. Will we decide that they're not the right children who were with her in that that sculpture? Yeah. I don't understand the rules around statues anymore. I understand the ill-feeling Around statues, I understand the ill feeling in Canada, but I am very much someone who says, "Fine, let's have a conversation about it, and let's maybe um, uh, revise the plaque in front of a statue and and say what it stood for then, what it might stand for now." You don't learn from history by pulling these things down. It, it actually really no, but really also really you don't me.
1: learn from history by reinterpreting it. I don't think. And so, you know, if a statue, for example, not a million miles from here, is a statue of Thomas Guy. Um, who was the bloke who was philanthropist, uh, who invented the idea of building hospitals for the poor. So he built Guy's Hospital and he built St. Thomas's Hospital. Um, and his statue is behind wood because it's been thought to have been so offensive to the young students of King's College that every day they walk past it, they couldn't they couldn't manage to do that without vomiting. You know, you just Vol- kind to of go,
3: what is wrong with you? Well, at least Uh, if they're vomiting. a hospital, hospital.
1: I mean, well, it makes a change from vomiting after a night out on the tiles, you know. But the point is, is that, you know, these hospitals wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for this guy. Now, you might say uh, he had some um, slightly, you know, dodgy uh, antecedents or he, he made some money from the South Sea Bubble Company,
3: but he still built hospitals for the poor. Well, look, I don't mind, as I said, if they were to re- put a plaque in front, you know, and, and, and there was the, the, the very famous one in, in Bristol, who's uh, the name of the person, Oh, yeah, Colston, me, yeah. Colston, I wouldn't mind if they put a plaque in front saying, look, you know, we have this statue here to commemorate the good work he did in recent years, his legacy has become more controversial. And so some people um, now don't like the work that he did or don't like the way in which that work was financed. Then at least you're opening yeah. up. But it hasn't become
1: controversial, Chris. It's only controversial because a bunch of lefties have decided they don't like it and they're going to jump on a bandwagon and pull down one statue that they don't like, that they've heard of, meanwhile leaving up about 650,000 other statues that they haven't
3: seen. I also think that we're getting into a really, really difficult territory when it comes to judging everyone by the standards of 2021. We didn't know... The the things that these people did at that time, there wasn't it wasn't as widely condemned as some of these things are nowadays. Obviously, everyone nowadays knows that slavery is wrong. Obviously, everyone well, not nowadays everyone knows apparently, slavery,
1: Christo, because uh, it's still going on. So if it was uh, yeah, something slavery, that was, you're quite right, if it was you're roundly, right. if it was roundly kind of uh, excised by everybody in the entire world, including those who buy two pound T-shirts on the Internet, that would be fine. But it isn't.
3: Well, you're absolutely right to point out the hypocrisy of it all, because that's something that irritates me greatly. And you're right. I mean, you know, I don't like going down the left and right route. But if we're going to, you're right. I think on the left you do end up in a situation where they sort of pick and choose the outrage mm. that they have. And I think that that one of the areas where that is absolutely prevalent, one of the areas where I probably get the most stick on talk radio is the fact that there are people who, certainly when it comes to homophobia, certainly when it comes to other prejudice, they'll absolutely go mad, rightly, when it comes from people perhaps in the Tory party mm. or people perhaps who are are, are, are seen as controversial figures on the right, yet it will be ignored when it comes to Islam. Mm. It will be ignored when it comes to the far left. And that is something that I find absolutely yeah. abhorrent. Well, you only have think.
1: to look at the Batley by-election to see some of the horrid things that were being said about uh, about the gay community, some of the ghastly things that were being said, and some of the things that were not being said um, about the and teacher who's still in, in hiding
3: it was an input it was imported outrage because some of the people who were there uh, being horrifically homophobic were from birmingham that mm. decided to go on a nice prejudiced road yeah. trip which no one seems to be condemning and you're absolutely right i cannot believe that we have a situation in 2021 where a teacher cannot return to work because he is in fear for his life and the labor candidate is doing some ridiculous woolly answer saying oh you know god well you know it's his choice it's not his choice having death threats keeping you behind closed doors is not a choice that means you can't leave your house and what i get irritated by in this country i don't like any religious prejudice but we seem to hold certain religious prejudice we turn a blind eye to other religious prejudice usually when it comes from christianity we are suddenly all up in arms Mm. about and that I think is a horrific double standard. And I think you're absolutely right. Batley is a huge demonstration of that. And also, hello, where are the Muslim Council of Britain? Muslim Council of Britain quite happy to complain about radio shows. Muslim Council of Britain quite happy to call out what they describe as Islamophobia, right, left and centre. Well, I'm sorry, you've got members of the Islamic community who are being horribly sexist, who are causing a teacher to not be able to do their job, and homophobia, right, left and centre, Funnily enough, they're silent.
1: Yes, isn't that strange? Now, talking hmm. of people with a disgraceful past, uh, you now currently get up on a Saturday and Sunday morning at a time when you would normally be going to bed.
3: Yes, uh, how's that's it true. Go- how's it
1: going? And what have you got for us this weekend?
3: Uh, well, we're going to have a full review, obviously, of all the newspapers. We're going to review what happened in Batley and how this is really a victory, but not a victory, I think, for Labour. 323 yeah. majority, I mean, my yeah, word. Feel doesn't feel like it. a win, does it? someone had sneezed on that pile of votes, they would have lost. Do you know what I mean? They would have been blown away. Uh, So we're going to talk about what needs to happen with the Labour Party. And also, when you look at some of the people who are there as apparent saviours of the Labour Party, I'm not sure that I would put Dawn Butler or Angela Rayner as the saviours of the party. It it, it needs to have a complete rethink Mm. of the direction it's in. And actually... I'm not a Labour voter, but I'm in favour of that. We need a good opposition. And we don't, we have a government at the moment that doesn't seem to govern and know what it's doing. But also we have an opposition that doesn't oppose because Mm. Keir Starmer hasn't had an opinion since about 1994 because he's scared to death of scaring anyone by giving an opinion on anything he thinks. And so I think we're going to fully analyse what's going on there. We might have a bit of a Diana statue chat as well, because I'm still obsessed with comparing it to various different faces, as we have done yes. this morning. Maybe I'll start the campaign for a statue of you outside Talk Radio Tower. Why Towers, not indeed? Because, of
1: course, my past is entirely spotless. There's nothing in it that would in any way upset anybody no. from any community no. in the entire world, apart from, Can my, ex- I be... apart
3: from my ex-wife. Can I be one of the people whose hand you're holding on the statue? Can I be, can I be Please, the child? absolutely,
1: or? yes, I'd love it. Yeah, absolutely. You're no not going to shove me
3: behind you, are you?
1: <laughs> we'll see about that. I Christo, wouldn't recommend it. No, I no, I take, it. I'll, I'll take your advice on that one. Christo, thank you very much indeed. Have a great weekend. Christo Fufas, uh, our new Talk Radio weekend breakfast host, every Monday, every uh, Saturday and Sunday morning from 7am. Don't miss it. Uh, it's a great show. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now it's time to say a very good afternoon to our man in the green corner, Dale Vince, chairman of Forest Green Rovers, a UN ambassador for climate change. Blimey, that's new, Dale. Very good afternoon to you.
0: Yeah, right, Mike. Uh, yeah. Good to speak to you again. Good to it's, speak it's to a you. couple of years old, actually. It's oh right, old, I was going
1: to say I didn't realise you were a UN ambassador, but but uh, anyway, that's it's quite an impressive title, I have to say. Um, I've been meaning to talk to you for a while because you very kindly sent me a load of vegan food um which was which was all right actually you know some of it was better than others um we we uh, my, my son and I enjoyed the beer quite quite quite, much, quite well um and, but the, the kids tried all the burgers and things I think their favorite was the there was a sort of um uh, sort of falafel style burger which was not bad at all but so we did make an effort we did eat it all um and so thank you for that and I, what, what I can say is it hasn't convinced me yet to make the move OK, but it hasn't convinced you not to. No, listen, I, I eat vegetarian food all the time. You know, I'll very, very oh. happily eat a vegetarian curry. I'll very happily eat falafel. You know, I've got no problem with that at all. I'm quite happy to eat um, pasta with, a um, you know, vegetable sauce. You know, it's not like I, I crave protein through meat every single minute of every single meal that I have. Oh, no, cool. So That's anyway, a... you want to talk. Let's talk Glad about England, first of all, uh, because obviously it's quite a big weekend for football. I mean, it's two great games tonight, actually. Um, and, then, and then tomorrow, it's all about England getting through to the semifinals. Yeah, I see
0: it happening. I see us beating Ukraine. And then I see us possibly meeting the Czech Republic in the semifinal. Yeah. I see us in the final, actually. And my guess is we're going to play Belgium.
1: Yeah. Do you know what? I, I started off this tournament being very sort of negative about Gareth Southgate. But I'm beginning to think... It doesn't actually... sound like you, Mike. I know it doesn't, does it? It's unusual, <laughs> no. that. But well, it's because he's so boring, Dale. I mean, you know, I just don't like boring people. Um, and he's he's so... not wearing the waistcoat anymore, is he? Well, it's no, na- no. now he's like. wearing this ridiculous shacket thing, which he claims is a half-shirt, half-jacket. But it's not. It's just a jacket, you know. Um, but his cautious approach has paid off. And the fact that England haven't let any goals in, I think, is, is something that he should be proud of. Um, and he looks... If he's doing it deliberately, like putting Grealish on late in the, in the second half... That seems to be working as well. So so I'm very willing, as you know, Dale, um, to change my mind and say, well, listen, if he wins tonight, I think we can say he's doing a great job.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think he's looking like a master tactician right now. Being Germany 2-0 is no small thing.
1: No, it's not. They're not very good, though, anymore, are they?
0: I don't know. They, uh, they've had some good games in the, in the Euros so far. But, I mean, they're not at their peak. I think that's fair to say. They're yeah. not the Germany of old.
1: No, uh, they really sure. aren't. So tell us about your green dream for, uh, for football, then. What's it all about? <laughs> Well, it's it's kind of
0: come about through our work at Forest Green Rovers, which was a rescue mission about 10 years ago. and We greened the whole club up. We took our work of energy, transport and food. We took it into football. We exposed it to a kind of new audience, the world of football fans. And we thought at the time that we might reach an even wider world of sports fans. The UN got in touch and said they wanted to do exactly the same thing globally. So we joined the program. and And it's really about... Uh, two things. I mean, every sector of our economy and society has to green itself up. So football's no exception. I don't think it has more or less responsibility to do that. Uh, But football has secondarily a unique platform, an opportunity to influence people. People follow football stars, football clubs, you know, they take cues from them. So um, we have an opportunity to reach billions of people as a sport and, and show them actually what it is they can do at home to help fight the climate crisis, to green their own lives
1: up. And that's what we're doing. So um, we're going to differ about this climate crisis, aren't we? Because uh, we've had the G7 meeting where they didn't really say much. I mean, were you disappointed? Because I thought one of the things they were going to come out with was some kind of strategy to beat the climate crisis. But in fact, they didn't really say anything.
0: Uh, I think it was disappointing. Most disappointing for me was was the optics. You know, Boris Johnson flew down there in a private chair. Come on, to talk about the climate crisis. I
1: know, it's bonkers. I mean, people look at that and they just go, really? Are you having a laugh? The same with old Joe yeah. Biden. You know, he takes Air Force One to get from, you know, St. Ives to Windsor. I mean, hasn't he heard of the train?
0: <laughs> I can't imagine it even gets to cruising height on that. On that. <laughs> well, train. you'd just you be literally going like that,
1: wouldn't you? Be like a little short hop. Yeah. yeah. But so, you know, that, that I think there's still a long way to go on that front because people certainly... When they hear that um, the government is going to knock on their door and tell them that they're going to have to rip out the old gas boiler and put in something else that's going to cost a lot more money, I think people are going to lose their enthusiasm. I think people have been willing to, to recycle. They've been willing to, to possibly do little things, sometimes maybe even you know, get on a bike or buy an electric car if it's a cheap one. But there's still a long way to go, it seems to me, Dale. Yeah, I think so,
0: but I think that's a bit of a right-wing scare story, there, Mike. You know, the government aren't saying anything like that. They're saying that uh, they they will ban. Well, they I are, think They will ban.
1: They are. And there's no uh, such thing. As, <laughs> there's no such thing as a right-wing scare story. It's either a scare story or it's not. <laughs> well,
0: I don't know. I think there are. But anyway, they're saying they'll ban the sale of new gas boilers uh, soon, which uh, which is a you know it's a pretty big step. But I don't think it's the end of the world. But uh, they aren't talking about forcing people to have their old boilers ripped out. Are you that's sure? Going to happen.
1: Yeah. Well, then it's the same as as telling people that you can't buy a diesel car after 2030. There's still going to be plenty of them driving around.
0: Well, that's not the same at all. That's not like plucking them off the road. That would be the same. Uh, So plucking boilers out of people's houses is not the same as saying you can't buy a new boiler. And it's the same for cars. If You can't buy a new car. That's different. You can still drive your old car.
1: So you're telling me that the government policy is only to put these new forms of heating into new build houses then?
0: Yeah, and I don't think it's enough. I think they need to go further. But we don't actually have to replace gas in our energy mix. We can make our own gas in the way that we make electricity from the wind and the sun. We can make gas from grass, and we have enough marginal grassland in Britain that's not being used for food production. We can make enough gas to power all 28 million British homes, so we don't actually have to rip boilers out. We don't even really have to stop selling them. We can just make a different kind of gas.
1: What sort of gas do you make from grass? Grass gas, obviously.
0: (laughs) Sorry, it's the same gas actually. Right. Uh, chemically, it's the same gas, but it's made from grass instead of from fossil fuels. So it's carbon neutral over a very short lifespan, say six months or something like that. Well, how do you make and it? Like? Well, anaerobic digestion. It's like an industrial version of a cow's stomach. It's right. well established technology. So I mean, the normal way to uh, all right. The normal way to feed these though is energy crops or food waste, but grass is a much better alternative. Mm.
1: I knew a friend, Um, uh, I had a friend in the city once who was talking years ago about some kind of, um, it was a sort of swamp grass um, method of of making um, power. Do you remember that? It was something to do with um, uh, elephant grass. What do you call that stuff? No, it was like the stuff that sits on the top of, uh, of water, you know. Oh, Okay. Like uh, pondweed. Yeah, that kind of thing. Chickweed. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, a, yeah. For, there was a while that people were talking about it as, it as it was the next big thing, and people were speculating on it and making loads of money as yeah. they do, and then sort of it all went yeah. away. I
0: and mean, the important thing is that we avoid energy crops because it's intensive agriculture. It uses pesticides and fertilizers, and they're causing big problems. Um, and it's a monoculture. It's bad for wildlife. And that's the beauty of grass. It's natural, uh, it's not a monoculture, it's good for wildlife. We spend seven billion pounds a year in our country burning gas, just to burn gas, it's all gone, you know, uh, the money goes up in smoke, but we can make our own renewably, time after time again, from, from grass, create 70,000 jobs in the rural economy, which farmers are going to need, you know, there's no end of benefits from just transitioning from fossil gas to grass-based gas
1: I was hearing an interesting story the other day about farmers, and apparently there's a lot of farmers currently as, as getting involved in solar panel fields, because apparently <laughs> once you've uh, rented out your your field as a brownfield site to uh, or as a greenfield site rather to uh, to these solar panels after 10 years you can turn it into a brownfield site and then sell it for development
0: i've never heard that that's but true it's an interesting angle it's
1: interesting. a true story and they're all looking forward to it because they're all getting into it because what you get is interest-free um uh, in, you you loan a company money you get interest on that loan after 10 years uh, you can sell your field to a developer i think we have to be careful about stuff like this
0: Yeah, we do. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of fuss in our country at the moment about planning, isn't there? I mean, the Tories lost a by-election allegedly because of uh, Johnson's proposed planning reforms to make it easier for developers you know there's always a lot of angst in our country about development
1: yeah well so there should be because i mean everywhere you look there's a a bunch of houses being built and that's the other trick they're up to is if you say you must be subjected to certain planning regulations and planning um, permissions that you must seek if you're putting up more than two and a half thousand houses they're selling them off in parcels of 500 so they don't have to do it so you got you know five different companies building 500 houses guess what you come under the radar
4: yeah,
0: yeah. Somebody always finds a loophole. But look, there's there's an interesting fact here I want to share with you and your listeners. Yeah. Mike. Although we we are all under the impression that our country is being concreted over, actually only five percent of our land area is is built on. The other the other ninety five percent is not, and it's because we tend to live in that uh, in that place uh, every day of our lives. All we see is, is building works and concrete and tarmac yeah. and stuff like that. But 95% of our country is not like that, and we just don't see it every day.
1: Yeah. Now, I used to get very uh, funny looks from my American friends when they would come over to Britain when I used to live in the West Country, and they'd go, why are all the houses so close together in one place, in one street, and then all around you there's like acres and hundreds of acres of green land? I'm like, I can't answer that. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, it's better to be like that because, like, for example, if you go up the, the east coast of America from Washington, D.C. up to New York, I mean, you basically don't really see very much countryside at all. It's just one big conurbation and one big motorway strip uh, and one city after another that kind of seeps into the, the, the next one. Yeah. Yeah, and 12 lane highways. Yeah, we don't want that. I mean, this is what I was saying. My son, right, you'll love this. My 26 year old son was extolling the virtues uh, of uh, electric scooters to me, you know. Uh, I reminded him that he lives in um, Huntington Beach, California, next to the San Diego Freeway, which has 16 lanes of traffic every single day rammed to the gunnels. I said, "America ain't going to become green anytime soon."
0: Well, I think it will actually. You know, Biden's in charge there now, and well, that's that's, that's what I'm worried.
1: Chief. That's what I'm worried about. But he's another one. I mean, he talks a good game, but he doesn't actually do anything.
0: I think he's done a lot. I mean, he's immediately rejoined the Paris Accord. He set out a budget of two or three trillion dollars. I'm not sure what it is for infrastructure and, and green plans. Um, you know, I, I think Biden is a man of action, actually. And that's a rare thing in He hasn't thing done in the world anything politics.
1: yet, has he? The place is still on but, fire. What's he doing about that?
0: <laughs> I don't think we can reverse uh, the climate crisis <laughs> overnight. Just by well, that's just what Pete, that's what
1: Pete, that's what politicians say. Oh, yeah, it's going to take a long time. Oh, I've only just got in. He's been in Washington for 48 years. He's done nothing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but he hasn't been in charge. As he? He's in charge now. Well, well he's been it. senator.
1: You know, you can't point to anything that he's done, can you? You, can, you can't tell me one achievement that Joe Biden has made in 48 years in D.C.
0: I'm more interested in what he's going to do now.
1: That would be a no, then.
4: <laughs> I have no idea so, so, what his career is like. Well, exactly. I'm well, it's not, in what he does next.
1: It's not brilliant. He was in the White House for eight years with Barack Obama. He didn't do anything either, apart from start a couple of wars.
0: Yeah, you know. well, you know, that's an American habit. Isn't
1: it? Well, unfortunately it is. And, you know, the problem with politicians is they, they say what they're going to do and then they say why they can't do what they want to do and then they're out of office and the next bloke comes in and does the same thing.
0: Yeah, well, I reckon Biden's got five years and he's going to make a huge difference. I think he already
1: has. I'm I'll, take, I'll take a bet with you issue. on that. I'll take all a right. bet with you on that. But so he's, yeah, only got, right. he's only got four, by the way. Well, yeah. You know, right. listen, Fair so enough. tell us more <clears> about your greening of football. How is that going to work?
0: Um, well, uh, through the United Nations program Sport for Climate Action, uh, that's a framework that's engaging the whole global world of sports. It's got about two hundred and fifty signatories, the organising bodies of every sport you could probably name, um, and all all kinds of uh, big clubs as well, in American football, Premier League football, that kind of stuff. And the idea is to get the whole world of sports to commit to make changes themselves, to green themselves up and to communicate that to their fans, which you know is billions of people on yeah. the planet. And, and it gives people the idea of what needs to change, what can change and what they can do themselves. Have you got guitar signed up? <laughs> I, do, I do ask me if I had a guitar then <laughs> Well I'm,
1: you probably play the guitar I would imagine from your previous I days can. Yeah no I'm sure I can, you're very good can. I'd be very happy to sit around a campfire with you one of these days If I, if I could ever get out of London um, But no I mean, I mean the, the trouble with football is right uh, It's a very energy um, f- uh, very energy-wasting business, isn't it? Because people fly on planes, I and mean, you've got England flying over to Rome. Uh, you've got these UEFA officials flying around the world, making sure that they can go wherever they like. You've got the World Cup in Qatar, one of the biggest oil-producing uh, regions in the plat on the planet. Uh, it doesn't look like they're changing that anytime soon.
0: Yeah, look, I think the actual flying impact of football is well overstated. I think it's a drop in the ocean compared to global flying. Um, I'm not saying that uh, it's right, uh, but it's something that, that that will change. We've got electric planes coming ten years from now. We'll be able to fly across Europe in an electric plane. So uh, when when people yeah, look, yeah, the problem football, is they won't let like,
1: you in though because you're from Britain. Yeah, maybe,
0: <laughs> maybe that's our fault. <laughs> it's not my look. fault.
1: Absolute rubbish. <laughs>
0: So, you know, people people talk about flying and football as if it's like the Achilles heel that undoes everything that football could do that's right. I mean, there's a lot wrong with that. The first is we can't let perfect be the enemy of good or getting getting on with the stuff that we can tackle. Secondarily, I would say infrastructure is changing in the background. The things that we can't influence now is coming so there will be electric planes trains buses trucks cars are here you know and in 10 years they've gone from nothing to being almost the the dominant form of uh transport on the roads in terms of what we talk about in 10 years from now as you say you, you won't get a well they're a not the dominant form of car. transport on the roads that's rubbish in terms of what we talk about that's what i said well that, because yeah, i know i know, I know but, now, but,
1: but that's not yeah. that doesn't mean it's true though i mean just because talking you can talk you can talk about anything you like doesn't make it dominant
0: No, no, it's it's a dominant topic for conversation because it's coming ten years from now. You won't be able to buy an old-fashioned car. You know that. You talk about that, and and that would be an incredible transformation in just twenty years from no electric cars in the world to it being the only kind of. But again, a lot of people worry. I'm trying to say is.
1: But a lot of people worry about that, Dale, because in order to live in a city which, as you say, is constantly being concreted over, if you don't have a place to park your car, which is a designated space where you can put a charge point. You can't. You it's going to be chaotic. Uh, you know, again, that's an
0: overstated issue. Um, not really. Seventy percent. Seventy percent of people in our country have off street parking. That's not true in the cities. That's a much lower percentage. But look, nobody has a petrol station in in their garden or accessible on the street where they
1: park. Nobody has that. Yeah, but you don't the need special. Yeah, but you don't need to fill up your car with petrol every day either.
0: And you don't need to do that with electric car. And that's what I was about to say. The idea that we need special treatment for electric cars is uh, is wrong. You know, it's behind the curve of technology. We can see already cars with a range of 300 miles on the road that you can put 100 miles in in just five minutes. So most people go to a petrol station every two weeks. And it's got to be exactly like that with electric cars. That's uh,
1: because you can get a packet of crisps and some chocolate as well.
0: Well, they'll be there as well.
1: Well, you'll have, sure they, well, you have an electric charge thing. point with, some, with the Crisper designation in there as well. <laughs> Great. Well, they're coming, aren't they? They're coming. All right, final question for you. This has come in from Robert. Uh, he says, what about this grass gas? It acts like a cow's stomach. Well, I thought they told us for years that cows give off methane and it's bad for the ozone layer. Yes, good
0: question. And you're perfectly right, but it's that methane that we capture. So where a cow leaks out of both ends and causes all the damage we capture it it's an industrial cow's stomach and that methane is the gas that we scrub up and put into the grid
1: okay fascinating stuff well nice to talk to you dale uh we've got to run because uh, there's lots going on uh, we'll see you soon dale vince there chairman of forest green rovers and uh, former i think un ambassador for climate change i always like talking to dale but some of, some of the stuff he comes up with i mean it's pie in the sky isn't it Or you may agree with him. Maybe he thinks he is winning the battle.
3: Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The independent republic of Mike Graham on talk radio.